people have been asking me to put this carburetor back together. Well, the plan is at some point. I'm still working on the sermon part of it to get it all worked out. One day we're going to do that. So glad that you're here today. As we uh, had finished up last week, we finished up going through our core values and uh, and what that means uh, for Mosaic. And so today we're not starting a new series, but uh, I do want to kind of go over a few things that I've been working on. So today, think of it as a uh, I get to practice on you today, all right, the things I'm working on. So it's not, you know, it's not going to be real smooth and polished, which I don't know if it really ever is smooth and polished, but just the idea that uh, these are some thoughts I've been working on and some thoughts that we're, uh, uh, God has been uh, using, showing me uh, to help us continue our vision of what it means to be Mosaic. One of the things that we have done when we came together as Mosaic is coming up with the name Mosaic. Why did you choose Mosaic? Does that mean like the old Mosaic law? No, it doesn't. Uh, my wife, uh, when we met and when we were engaged, she came to JBU and during our engagement, we were engaged for like 13 months and through the process, uh, she was an art major and, uh, and did some Spanish and through her art, she showed me some different mosaics. And the cool thing about mosaics are they are broken pieces. And they lay them all out, and they put grout there, and they really kind of look cool. We have this little lazy Susan that she made, uh, and it's cool how it spins and put all of her stuff on it, and it's a little mosaic that she made. And the idea of coming together uh, in our area in Northwest Arkansas, growing up here, understanding that we're pretty much a Caucasian community growing up, and then in the last 20 years, we've changed. And, and it's neat when you think about Northwest Arkansas reaching the world. We have an opportunity to reach the world. And not necessarily by traveling. We don't have to really travel very far. But because of different institutions, different jobs, different employment agencies, all that around here, uh, the world is coming to us. And one of the things that we thought about through this process is that Mosaic is broken people coming together. And we're all broke. I mean, none of us are perfect. I mean, how many of you grew up uh, in church or, or listening to preachers or people say that you need to be like Christ? Right? You need to be like Christ. There's a problem with that. You can't be like Christ. Because he's perfect. Right? You will never reach perfection. I know some of you are really close. But you will never get to the point of being perfect. Right? We always make mistakes. We always blow something up. Or life just blows up around us. We have no control over it. And we've, we're going to look at that in a few weeks about sin and, and what that does and how it affects us. But as we come together, understanding that broken people, okay, uh, that because of our brokenness, we get to make much of God, right? We get to make much of who God is and what He's doing in our life. It's the brokenness in our life that he has made, that he gets to show off his strength. All right? In our weakness, the scripture says that he is made strong. Not like he gets stronger, it's that he gets to show off his strength. When your world blows up, sometimes you just need to step back and go, okay, God, what do you have going here? What's going on? What, what do I need to be a part of? Because I don't know how many times I have, and I, I know you probably have too, have stepped back and went, God, I can't handle this. And there's something in Scripture that says, you know, you're not going to let anything happen to us that we can't handle. And it's like, uh, no, I never said that. He said, he's not going to let any temptation come your way. That's not com uncommon to anybody else. 
It's common to everybody. Every temptation kills. But when your world blows up, he goes, that's a good thing, right? And you're going, I don't know if that's a good thing. I like it when it's really smooth and easy, right? So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can look at the computer, you can pull your phone out, however you uh, scroll look at the Bible. John chapter 15, verse 8. And we're going to begin to look at um, the unity of Christ. And I want you to rethink church for a moment. And uh, hopefully this will inspire you uh, as, as we go through about church. Because one of the things that we have done as Mosaic is, uh, I want you to understand this. We did not launch Mosaic because we thought Silent Springs needed another church. Or Gentry, or Watts, or Westville, or Talkport, or whatever. We don't think Northwest Arkansas necessarily needs another church. There is a church on every corner. But one thing that we d desired was we felt that God had a unique opportunity for us to reach cross-cultural, where a lot of churches are not. We have a, a unique desire to, to do missions uh, around the world, here and around the world. Uh, we have the idea that we can launch churches even in different parts of the world. Uh, one of the things about bringing different cultures together is uh, we are looking at second and third generation, not the first generation. I mean, it wouldn't bother me a bit if we had uh, a pastor come in who uh, just spoke Spanish, did a Spanish service for Spanish people that could only understand Spanish. But the second and third generation, they have a hard time uh, fitting into a church of their mother tongue because they may not understand the language like their parents. But they don't feel comfortable in some of the churches around here because when they walk in, they feel like a peck of pepper in a, in a, in a land of salt, okay? Uh, so the whole idea is that we've decided we can do this because all of us know people at different places. We know different cultures, we know different ethnicities, uh, and it's even broader than that. It's not just about the color of your skin, it's really about the whole difference of lifestyles that we have. So coming together in any group, one of the challenges that we face and try to overcome is not being like one another. All right. When somebody comes in that's different, we all kind of look at them like, well, they're different, you know? If somebody walked in all tatted up, people would be going, that's different. Or, wow, look at that, you know I mean? <laughs> One way or the other. And, and so the whole idea is it, it doesn't matter where you come from, where you're going, what you are, where you are. Uh, the whole idea is as Mosaic comes together, it's a beautiful picture. Of, of who God is in our life and making much of Him. And so one of our missions, our, our big mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. In leading all people into a growing relationship with Christ, understanding, well, what's Christ's mission for us? How does, how does Jesus want to impact our life in such a way that makes a difference in other people's lives and cultures? Now, the church has not had a great track record of going into other cultures and trying to share the gospel. Because most of the time, the track record we find of the church going into other cultures is trying to make that culture like their culture that they came from. When we go on mission trips, it's very hard for us to go into different areas, different cultures, different countries, and not say, you need to do it like we do it. Right? It's hard for you, where you work, to work with somebody that's, that's newer or younger Okay, or even older, and, and going, 
I know you've always done it like this, but I see it in a different way. And if we can do it like this, I think it'll be better. We don't like change. And so in, in our mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Christ, we see that in, in John chapter 15, uh, John is the writer, okay? John is an apostle of Jesus. He had a nickname. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? And so here we have John writing a, a very unique description about what Jesus told them of who he was. Now, if, uh, if you're a farmer, you'll get this, okay? If you've never been around a farm, it may be a little bit different, but uh, we can get a good idea. I'm just going to read verse 1. I know it's not up there, but I want to kind of set a, a backdrop for you of what Jesus is talking about. He says, I am the true vine, okay? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, when we moved to Gentry, we found a house. We've been praying about a house in five acres, and it took us about a year and our house sold. It had to be out in a few weeks, and we found this house. It was like, wow, it's amazing. When we moved in, there were strawberries, there were raspberries, there were pear trees, a peach tree, an apple tree, uh, grapes, uh, mint, uh, all, all kinds of stuff were growing. And uh, I grew up on a farm. We had a big garden. Dad always believed in a big garden, as big as this whole building right here, 4,000 square feet or bigger, you know. And half of it was in potatoes because he was a meatitarian. Meat and potatoes, that thing goes together, okay? So, um, and, and he, he liked doing that. We would help in the garden. Our job was to pull weeds, of course. You know, every now and then we'd get the till. Never got to drive the tractor. We always had to use the shovel and pick up the potatoes like that. And so, uh, moving into this place, oh, this is awesome. I'll get to teach my kids, you know, how to do this stuff. Except for when you try to get them out there to weed. Why are we doing this? You know, I hate this. And so, our lives were so busy that. Um, it never really, uh, the orchard's still there, okay? And, and like the grapes, I was so excited about grapes that I never had grapes, and I wanted to make my own communion wine, right? Right? And that how it worked? So anyway, the idea was, is, uh, boy, I'm, I'm ready for grapes. Because I love grape jelly and peanut butter. That's awesome. Uh, grape jelly on biscuits, you know. And so uh, that's one of my favorite jellies. And so I went there until I found strawberry rhubarb jelly, and that's even better. But just the whole idea, I found grapes, and we, we had this grape. We had like two or three vines that were growing up. And every year, about the time I'd see the grapes, I'd go out and inspect them. Didn't really know much about growing them, okay? And so they were just growing, and it was crazy. And, and I'd go out there, and, oh, they're coming on, you know? And about before they would get ripe, this black thing just kind of took over the grapes, and they all just died. And I was like, oh. So I did a little study and found out, hey, wait a minute. If I get this kind of uh, rose stuff that keeps them from blackening, It'll take care of that. So the next year, I get out there, and I'm spraying the stuff on them. And just about the time that they're ripe and ready to pick, they're gone. The animals came in and took them. It's like, dang, you know? And so I value, you know, probably over the years have, uh, how long have we been here? Well, since about 2000. Uh, so for about 15 years, I've never really got a good, not the whole harvest of grapes, I'll put it that way. Maybe just a few clusters I've got to eat. Because I, I don't take care of them. And... I'm finding out more and more that I should actually go through at the end of the season and just mow it all down and then allow that main stock to regrow all the vines and, and because you get better fruit that way through the process. It's like we had this tree out at my house growing up and it was a pecan tree and it was a little bitty and it was just a big bush and my dad said one day, you need to go out there and trim that 
uh, so we can mow around it easier. So I did, I gave it a haircut like crazy. And I just took every branch off of it. My mom was going, you're gonna kill that tree. You know? The next year it produced some really big pecans. And dad was like, wow, we need to do that again. You know? and, and so the whole idea of, of growing vines or growing trees or you know, producing fruit, things like that, the whole process, the whole process uh, comes down to the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, a vine dresser. A vine dresser, he goes back to the mother root, and he's got to whittle things back, and he's got to set up a grid for that, that grapevine to grow in such a way that it will produce what? Fruit, or grapes, okay? You want little bitty grapes? You want big grapes. You want sweet grapes or sour grapes? We like sweet, okay? And so the whole idea is that when, when this grows, the vine dresser has a plan. And through the process and through the plan, he is whittling back, all right? And he is taking care of things, and he's producing a grid for the vine to grow out on to produce the best fruit possible. Now let's spin that over to our life. If you believe that God created you and he created this world and spun it into motion, then don't you think God knows the best way to lay out your life in such a way for you to produce the best fruit possible? Right? Mm -hmm. Think about this. Have you ever gone up to a fruit tree or a vine or whatever and just listened? I know people talk to plants. I, I know that, all right? But, I mean, seriously, have you ever gone up to and just listened? Do you ever hear an apple tree or a peach tree or a grapevine groan while it's producing fruit? I mean, you walk up there and you're just like, you know, you walk out to the vine, there's nothing there. You walk out to the vine, there's nothing there. You walk out there and you just watch, and all of a sudden you see this, this vine go, fruit! Do you, you ever see that? <laughs> No. You go out there, you, you go out there and you, you see the little bud, and then you see the, the fruit start, you know, growing. And you never see that vine or that tree or whatever grown in such a way or stress over in such a way what type of uh, or how big or whatever the fruit is going to be. It just naturally what? Happens. Right? Fruit naturally happens. And, and, and so the whole idea is the vine dresser is the one who lays out the plan for the vine to grow in a way for it to produce the best fruit. So think about this. God, if you've invited Jesus to come into your life, he has provided a, a grid for your life to grow out on. That when other people see it, they begin to see the fruit that you produce. <laughs> Paul wrote it out in Galatians like this, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. It's not a list of like, okay, I've got to, I've got to learn how to love today or this week or this month or next month I'm going to work on patience, okay? Next month I'm going to work on, you know, self-control. It, it's really not like that, is it? You can't be like Christ, but as you begin to grow through the grid that God has provided for you as the vine dresser, guess what happens? These fruits begin to show up in your life. 
For example, uh, you've got a real stressful week. Everything's happening all at once. And everything you run into, you go to Walmart, every cashier is, is 10 people deep, and you can't check out anything. You know, you need this part to get this fixed, but you can't have it for two weeks. And you've got to have production. Oh, you know. What's that teaching you? Patience. Patience. Or anger. Either way, I you know. <laughs> one one or the other. But just the whole idea, it, it really should, through the process, through the grid, be teaching you patience. But so many times we pray, God, I need this now. God, I, you know, I don't need patience, I need action. Think about this. Um, Self-control. Self-control. Um, a friend of mine had a, a mini stroke, and he had to go to the hospital. They kept him in the hospital for a week. He came out, and he had lost um, no major surgery. It wasn't a major stroke. They were just on blood work and everything. He came out, and he lost 20 pounds. Now, that's a diet program, let me tell you. And, and it wasn't that anything happened to his body or uh, a surgery or whatever that slowed anything down. It was nothing like that. He just, like, checked into a motel. They did a few tests, and he checked out. But he lost 20 pounds in the process. And the only thing he could boil it down to was stress. was the portions that they fed him. He got to eat every meal. Didn't skip any meals, but it was the portions. They controlled his portions. And he decided, you know what? If I practice a little self-control, I can continue to lose a few extra pounds that I wanted to lose. It, it began a process for him to start practicing self-control. The problem is, is when we go, all right, I've got to work on self-control this week. Guess what happens? Everybody brings desserts, you know? Everybody brings, you know, uh, a potluck this week, or it's Christmas time, or Thanksgiving. It's just, you know, they all happen together, and it's like, oh man, I've really got to try everything, right? Because, you know, I can't miss out on life. And so the grid that we actually walk through, live through, things that happen to you, <laughs> instead of going, God, I'm so frustrated with you, this should work out better. It should we go, God, what are you teaching me through this? God, I need to rely on you to help me through the process. God, you didn't answer my prayer the way I thought it should be answered, but, okay, help me to understand what you want out of this. You're the controller. You're the vine dresser. You're the one putting this all together. So in uh, chapter verse 8, he says, by this, by this, being connected to the vine and, and, and growing on the grid that God has designed for us, by this, my Father is what? Glorified. The vine dresser is glorified because of the fruit that you're producing through the process of growth. Then he goes on, he says this, that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control, all this stuff. And so prove to be my what? Disciple. Being a disciple is to be a studier or a learner, okay, a student. Through the process, the world is going to know. Or the process of producing fruit, you will know 
that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't know why, but here lately I've had so many different uh, phone calls and conversations over doubting their salvation. And, and, and my first question is, why? why? Why are you doubting now? And then we begin to go back and, and I take them through and, and see. I just begin to inspect if there's any fruit. Because sometimes as people who believe in Christ, we have dry spells. We have times our world blows up and we wonder where God is. We pray a lot and it just seems to be bouncing off the ceiling. Nothing seems to be happening. But through the process, the primary motive for disciple making must be to glorify God. And through my discipling, I should be discipling others. We, we talked about this in mentoring. That you need to be mentored by somebody, you need to be following somebody, and somebody needs to be following you. And, and through the process, much fruit is produced. Uh, look, at, look at our mission. Uh, and, and I know you've, if you've been in church much, you've seen these verses. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. He says this. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but somewhat. Now, if you've ever doubted, this should help you to feel comfortable in the fact that you're not alone. All the disciples doubted, even to the point that one of them got a nickname from us. Doubting. Verse uh, 18. Jesus came to them and said, All what? <coughs> All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Jesus, okay? He says, all authority has been given to me. All authority. Not just here, but in heaven. The, all the authority of God's kingdom, I have. And we can rest assured that he is in control because he has authority. Look at verse 19. So now, I'm going to give this authority, I'm going to give you a task to do in my authority. As I am king, as I am the Lord, as I am the controller, uh, I want to give you a task for you to accomplish for my kingdom. I have the authority to give this to you. And here it is. Go therefore, or some translations put, while you are going. And, and that's actually the mindset of, of what the, the, the wording actually is in the Greek. While you're on this process, okay, of, of the grid uh, of growth, while you're on this process of living life, while you're going, make disciples of, of who? All nations. That's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, we can barely hang on to our households. We can barely work on, you know, where we work and keeping all of that in control. But here he's saying, through the process, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The authority by which I've been given, I'm commanding you, as you're making disciples, through the process, baptize them. A, a physical symbol of them following Christ and, and the kingdom under the authority of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I command you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And through the process, we see that there's a united mission that we are to make disciples. Mark puts it like this. Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 16 and 17. 
he puts it like this, and uh, I was kind of tired when I ran across this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Saved. But whoever does not believe will be what? All right, and that's talking about the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the disciples, uh, when they saw the resurrected Savior, that's what made them go from not believing to believing. From doubting to faith. And so here, uh, look at verse 17. For those that believe. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Pretty exciting. Anybody cast out demons lately? I mean, we've seen it on TV and there's movies made about it and, and all the movies and stuff that you see on TV, for the most part, they have a, a really distorted view of, of what uh, evil is and how demons work. And, and, uh, and so, but here he's saying, in my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. Look at this. I, this is the exciting part. They will pick up serpents with their hands. All right, we're going to be a snake handling church, right? <laughs> some of you are going, oh, I'm not coming back now. Okay. And some of you are going, hey, can I bring my pet snake too? Yeah. Uh, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, and they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Yeah. Why is he saying this? Well, think about Paul. He was on the island shipwreck on Malta. They were going around, they were gathering firewood, and in the process, he got bit by one of the most poisonous, deadly snakes on that island. The reason we know that is because everybody was watching him, all the, all the natives were watching him, waiting for him to fall over dead. And he did. I mean, he just he, it bit him, and he threw it off to the side. I mean, I'd be jumping up and down, screaming hard, going, ah, you know. Uh, I love that commercial where the, the guy is driving the car, you know, down south, and, he, and he's like, I've been He drives up to these Cajun guys, and, and, you know, there's lack of communication going on there, and then later you see him sitting around the campfire with his buddies, he's in the middle. He's, <laughs> he's immune. You know? yeah. And so, does, does this mean that God makes you immune to poisonous things? I don't want you to go out and try it, all right? I don't want you to go out and try it. But, we understand that dangerous things are going to happen, right? If we're living on mission, you're going to put your life on the line at some point. When we were in Africa, they said, don't drive around at night. And we were thought, oh, yeah, right. You know. So I'm, I'm with the driver. We're sitting there talking you know, before he, as he's getting ready to pick us up and take us to our location. And I noticed he's got a hole on his shirt. And I noticed that this is the same shirt he's been wearing. And uh, I'm just curious, I said, you know, that hole looks distinct. He goes, yeah, this is the shirt I wore when I got shot. I was like, really, you got shot? He goes, oh, yeah, I was driving the van at night, and somebody tried to rob me. You see, look at the hole in the seat, the driver's seat. Had a hole, he had a hole through his shirt, through the driver's seat, through the seat I was sitting in. I was like, Ooh. and we're going where tonight? <laughs> and so... Uh, we live in a dangerous world, right? We, we live in a sin-filled world where bad things happen to all people. It's not a discriminator. It happens to everybody. Bad things happen. But for those who believe, we're like, okay, God, I believe I'm going to pick up this snake. You know, 
Is that what he's talking about? Are we testing God? No. It's the whole idea of getting out the gospel. If you're in areas, you know, where we're in Africa, we were there with the black mamba, one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And we were up there, we were crawling around on this rock, we went on this little hike, and, and all of a sudden uh, somebody had said, we might better head back as the sun is starting to set and the black mamba comes out. And our pastor, Robin, he was just like, all right, let's go. You know, and he was ahead of everybody. You know? and, and so the whole idea was is that when we think about what could happen to us, when we think about all the different possibilities, should we worry? No. Like Paul didn't worry when the snake bit him. And, and the people were coming to him going, you should be dead. And he goes, and so they start, they, they try to say, oh, you're a God. But no, I'm not. But I can tell you about a God who will give you life everlasting. There's an opportunity to present the gospel. And then John, who, uh, John uh, chapter 17, verse 23, we see Jesus uh, praying to the Father right before the crucifixion. And it's, if you get a chance, read that whole chapter because you really get to see the mind of Christ, the insight to the relationship between Him and the Father, okay, the intimacy between the two. Jesus says, I in them, talk about us, and you, talk about the Father, is in Jesus, in me, that they become perfectly what? One. In this mission of baptizing, okay, making disciples and baptizing, because I am in them and you're in me, but we all become perfectly one. So that the world, not just Jerusalem, not just Israel, not just the Roman culture, but that the world may know that you sent me. That the world may know that you sent me and love them, us, as much as you love me, your one and only son. God, the vine dresser, the father, prepare a plan that produced much fruit, starting with the true vine. And, and we are uniquely grafted into that vine. And through the process, the world may know that it's the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. that makes the difference. Just as it did in the days of Christ, so it does in the days of us. Um, so that brings us to a unique opportunity. The world. How are we, Mosaic, going to reach the world? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and in, in his writing, he begins to bring them about on what the mission of God is and how it fits in the unity of the body. Because here is Paul, a Hebrew, writing to those who are not Hebrew, like us. He says, there is only one body. It's not Jew or Greek, okay? It's not slave or free. There is one body. Now, this is easy for us to understand because you have a body, right? And for those of us who are married, it's not your body. It's your mate's body. What the Bible says. And he says, but there is one body, one what? 
spirit, all right, just as you were called to the one. All right, now, do you notice there's a theme going on here? It's one. Now, as he continues, that belongs to your call. Look at verse 5. One what? One. One. Okay. So the idea that when the body works together the way that God created it, because of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, go back to verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Your call into the unity of the body of Christ is that we all become one. Right? We all become one. Look at uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you, talking about us, are a chosen one. Now, we understand that as Mosaic, we're coming together as all different races of people, but because we've become under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we all become one race. It's not about color. It's not about monetary value. It's not about even where you live. It's the idea that this world is not our home. One of these days, we're going to get to fly away to a whole new world. A kingdom of God. An eternal kingdom that Jesus talked about. And you are the chosen race of that kingdom. Isn't that awesome? You are the chosen race of that kingdom. You are a royal what? So you're all priests. You can start having your friends come to your house and confess their sins to you. Right? I mean, think about this. The priesthood, what they're talking about, the royal priesthood, in the Old Testament, there was a tribe of Israelites called Levi. And they were the royal priesthood of the tribe of Israel. Now, they did not have an inheritance into the land. Is very unique. All the other tribes had an inheritance or a portion of the land of Israel given to their tribe, except Levi. The tribe of Levi got to move into every tribe and be the connection for that tribe to the father, to the king. They're the ones who made intercession or connection. They took care of the sacrifices. They could, took care of opportunities that people needed to convey uh, their worship to the Father. And so they didn't get an inheritance in land. They got an inheritance into a bigger, broader portion of the kingdom of God. They got to inhabit all the land, all the tribes, to be a connection. And so in the same way, we don't have necessarily an uh, inheritance into this world. But we have become a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood of the king. We have become a holy nation. A people for his what? Own possession. To the kings in, in the days of old, they owned the people. That's, what they, that's why they could tell them what they wanted. And the people would have to produce. 
And God says that, that you are my possession. But now this possession is from a possession of love, right? A possession of respect, a, a, possession, a, a possession of holiness that I have set you apart to be my people. That you know that you may proclaim the the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous what? Now get this. In the unity of becoming one body, one nation, one priesthood, under one Lord, one baptism, one faith, you have the opportunity to make much of God. To make much of Him. Now I know when you read in Isaiah, you see that God created certain angels that fly around the, the throne of God. That's all they do. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in, in, our, in our time set. Okay, That's all they do. Their job is to fly around the throne and just say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. If we had to do that 7 days a week, 24 hours a day, uh, 12 months out of the year, we'd be bored stiff, right? That's just one job. But you, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, a holy people, under God's leadership, under His authority, get to make much of God about everything. This, this grid that you're on, that you're living, that you're growing and producing fruit, you get to make much of God. It could be your family, it could be your job, it could be your... Um, Whatever is going on. When your world blows up, you can still make much of God. The idea through this process, through this process, is that you have become light rather than dark. Uh, look at it this way. Uh, look at verse 10. Once you were not a people. You're not a people. But now you're God's people. Maybe I can put it this way. You know people who seem to be just going through life and they really have no clue what's going on. They're just born, they go to school, they go to college or work, they, they work, they may get a house, they may get married, they may have children. They just go through the process, they retire, they die, and, and that's it. They don't seem to have a, a, a real connection. They, they don't seem to have a real purpose in their life. Once you were not a people, you didn't have a purpose. You didn't really know why you were here. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. But now, you are God's people. And he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You don't get to be God's people because you're good. Because we can never be good enough. You're God's people because you received mercy from God. Think of it like this. Um... When all people come together, when, when all people come together, how many opinions are there? Remember how many people's in the room, right? Okay. So now, being not a people and becoming a people, there's a unique, uh, distinct difference about us. You know what's unique about the United States? When you look around the United States, you have a little snippet view of what God has in mind. Because we have all nations, all people groups, in a melting pot. 
where other nations, that's not necessarily true. You need to be of that people to be part of that culture. And so here, we get to bring all people together. And by bringing all people together, we begin to get a better view of who God is. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I have a lot of scripture today, but I think it's important. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Wow, that's a guy in jump. What he's talking about here is the idea of abolishing the law of the commandments, all right? In other words, the law for you did not save you. The law can't save us. It just shows us how bad we are. See, you were not a people. You, you were a person uh, that when you looked at the law, you went, I'm doomed. That's one thing all religions seem to have in common. Do this, or if you don't do this, you're toast. Okay? <coughs> do this, but we don't end up doing this, and so we're toast. And so the whole idea is that here, we look at the law and we go, I can't do it, I'm toast. But Jesus completed the law by abolishing it in such a way that you're not under the law. You're not above the law. But through Christ, He created in Himself, in you, a new man. The place of two, <coughs> so making peace. You have this war. Everybody has this war inside their body. I, I grew up in with Cartoon World, okay? In uh, On Saturday mornings when cartoons were playing, especially the... Uh, <coughs> and all that stuff. And you seem to always have, at some point in the cartoons, there was a, an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other shoulder. We have this inner struggle inside of us, wanting to do bad, wanting to do evil, or wanting to do good. And because of what Christ has done by dying on the cross for all of our sins, through the process that He would create in Himself one new man. Not just a struggle between good and evil, but, but something that's completely different of that. One new person understanding who they are in Christ, who they are in God, that they're God's people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, one nation. Through the process, look at verse uh, 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that's inside of you, the war that rages inside of you. Killing that out. We said at the beginning, sometimes we, we grew up in, in a culture, a church culture, that said, you know, God was like this angry father pointing his finger at you, just waiting for you to mess up. But the one new man understands this. It, it's not an angry father pointing his finger at us. It's a God who first loved us so that we could love one another. And through the process of the war that rages inside, he goes, I can take care of that. I can take care of it. I mean, you've grown up in the same culture I have. Have you heard uh, people say this? I don't know what got into that boy. God did. I don't know why he's acting like that. God does. 
And He can take care of that by us accepting the gift of forgiveness of our sin. Does that make us perfect? No. That makes us forgiven. That, that begins a process that now we can begin to grow in such a way that produces fruit that's not of this world. That people look and go, wow, that person is kind. That person seems to be patient. That person seems to be so loving. That person seems to be so self-controlled. That's so different from the world that's around us, right? We're not a world of love. We're not a world of peace. We're not a world of patience. I know that for sure. Self-control? <laughs> Why do we need to practice self-control? This is an entrepreneurial society. It is our job to make people dollar, get into our wallet so we can spend it on what we want to spend it on. Look at it like this. Romans chapter 14. Verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9. It's all about the relationships that we have. As for the one who is weak in faith, what should we do? Welcome him. As the body is coming together, as, as Mosaic is, you are inviting more people to come, and, and we get to make much of God. When people come in that are different than us, we need to get this mindset. I want you to rethink church. Church is not about people like us. People is about a church that's, that's about people that are different. If we're all the same, then a lot of you are not needed. In a marriage relationship, if the husband and wife are exactly the same, then there's a person that's not needed in that relationship. It's the difference that makes the, 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 the two who become one a better one than they were at two. He says here, as for the one who is weak in faith, what should we do? Welcome here. And we're so glad that you're here. I don't feel like I should be here, but we're glad that you're here. But not to quarrel over what? I mean, how many opinions do we have in the room? As many as we have in the room. But it doesn't mean that we quarrel over them. Can you state your opinion? You should have the freedom to state your opinion. This should be the safest place on earth for you to be able to state your opinion. But now don't get upset if your opinion is not accept accepted. Don't get upset if everybody doesn't agree with your opinion. Because guess what? It's your opinion. But we can come together under God's Word, under the authority of Scripture, and we can work together to become a better one than we are a multitude apart. Verse 2. What person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables? I love this verse because I'm a meatitarian, all right? I don't want to be stuck with just vegetables. I want to meat and potatoes, all right? But the whole idea is one person be believes he may eat anything. Yes, all right? But should, should he be treated different than a, than a person who eats only vegetables? No. Let's go on. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. I mean, I, I think it's great for Paul here writing to the Roman 
using uh, the word uh, the, the word picture of food. We all, we all can get food, all right? I mean, there's even a food network now. And, and so the whole idea is that as he's talking about it, should we <laughs> judge people differently because of what they eat or don't eat? He's saying no. Abstain. Passing judgment on the one who eats. For God has done what? <coughs> Welcome. Somebody walks in and says, well, I have just a different dietary standard than everybody else in the room. That's okay. Come on in. Verse 34. Who are you to pass judgment on a servant of another? Who are you to pass judgment on the worker of somebody else in their business? And how they handle their business? It's not your business. It's their business. And how whatever they do with their workers, that's how they run their business. So why should you judge them in the way that they run their business? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. It's, it's his boss that, that should pass the judgment of whether he should stay working or be let go. Right? I mean, I know sometimes we get frustrated with workers in different business because they aren't taking care of us like we think they should take care of us, but it's really not our job to fire them or not. But we can give our opinion. But it's really up to the owner and what he decides to do with it. It's up to the boss what he decides to do and how he decides to handle the situation with his own worker. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. If he's under the direction of God, God's going to lead him in the right direction and he'll make the correct judgment call. Verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It could be raining cats and dogs. And some of you are going, oh, it's raining again. And some of you are going, yes, it's raining again. It could be dry as a bone out there. And you're going, oh, I need rain. It's so dry. It's so hot. And some of you are going, no, man, I like this time of the year because I can make money this time of the year. You know? I, I mean, it's the whole idea. It's each one how they perceive the day. It's up to them. Let's go on. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of Booth. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to who? While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the... and gives thanks to... So, what's the common denominator to this whole scenario? In the way that we eat, the way that we perceive the day, the way that we live life, what's the common denominator? Yeah. Thankful to God who gave it. You sit down with a, with a great prime rib that's cooked just the way that you like it. I had a guy walk in to Dripping Springs when, when I worked there. He said, flip it on the grill, flip it over, flip it on the plate that fast. That's how I want my steak. So we just shot the cow back. He goes, well, if you just want to cut it off that, that'd be fine too. No, he said, just, I just want just the nice, I just want to be able to taste the sear. That's it. And we did. We flipped it, flipped it, flipped it. And he sent comments back. That was incredible. I was Scott. <laughs> you know, can imagine the guy eating. But you can enjoy a great prime rib, but it doesn't stop 
at just the taste of the prime rib for your own selfish consumption. When it rolls past that and you go, wow, God, you created this flavor, this smell, this taste for our enjoyment. Thank you. I mean, someone figured out one day how to put buttermilk and some pepper and, and some onion powder and all that and make a ranch dipping sauce. Thank you, Jesus. Because every restaurant, I'm like, can you bring some ranch for my fries? I eat ranch with anything. Even vegetables. But just the idea that when it rolls past the selfish consumption of my own enjoyment to understanding the Lord who brought that enjoyment for me, that I make much of Him for the way that He thought about me. The difference... The different smells that you smell today, are you thankful for God for that? You know, driving a big truck, sometimes you, you smell some different stuff. You know, it's like, well, that's an electrical smell. I need to pull the truck over and check and see if that's going There's a sweet radiator uh, antifreeze smell that if, the, if it's overheating, it's like, oh, i got to back off of or something's busted, you know. And, and so many times I'm like, oh, I'm so thankful that God showed me that or gave me that opportunity to shut it down before I completely destroy it. But just the idea of the same smell with roses, the same smell with flowers, with uh, food, with whatever it is, it rolls past the enjoyment in honor of God. Right? Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us what? Your life affects how many people? Everyone around you. And even generations that follow you. Your life makes such a difference in this world that I don't think any of us realize how big of an impact that our life has. Even at our death, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone around us and future generations. I don't know how many times I've been called out on suicide calls. And I immediately start talking to them about how this is going to affect other people, not just themselves. If it was just going to affect you, then fine. You know, remove yourself out of the gene pool of this world. If it's about the survival of the fittest. But that's not what it's about. Your life affects so many other people. For generations to come, God gives us a small window in Deuteronomy and says, if you obey my commands and, and what I have for you in store for your life, if you live the grid that I put you on and you produce the fruit, then you're going to be a blessing to the fourth and fifth generations beyond you. If you don't, you're going to be a curse to those fourth and fifth generations. And I know most of us want to be a blessing. So even your life is not your own. And your death is not your own. Verse 8. He goes on and he says this. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are who? The Lord. I mean, I'm glad I don't know the day that we'll die. Or the day that Jesus is going to come and take us home. I'm glad we don't know that. Because we, we, would, we would shortcut everything that we could to try to get what we could for our own selfish desires. And it's not about that. 
It's about living each and every day of your life to the Lord that He's designed for you because it affects other people. And uh, verse 9. For to this end, Christ died. And He lived a what? Again. That He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Not the living and the dead. The wording structure is very important here because it, it's this idea that if a man can predict his death and his resurrection and he pulls it off, I have a tendency to believe a guy like that. And that's why the disciples began to write these stories down, not to preserve the teachings of Jesus like a lot of other religions do. They began to write these stories down because they saw the resurrection the resurrected Savior. And all of a sudden, they, they went from being doubters to being faithful. They went from you know hiding to living boldly, even if it was going to cost them their life. Because Christ is has power over the dead and over the living. So as you are going through life, living the grid that God has put you on, producing the fruit that this life will produce out of you naturally. It's going to happen. But if you're staying connected to the vine, you will produce fruit that will affect others not only in this life, but in the future lives that you will affect even after your death. Now that's something that I feel like we want to be a part of. Because understanding that our life doesn't stop here in the grave. That it makes a difference for the future generations that no other organization could ever accomplish on this world. No matter how big it is, nothing has surpassed the organization of the body of Christ, the church. We have more franchises in this world in 2,000 years than any other organization has ever watched. And probably will ever watch. Can't imagine. Because He is the Lord. You're a chosen people. A holy priesthood. Making a difference in this world that will affect all nations. <coughs> all nations. Christianity became so powerful so fast that it literally demolished the Roman rule of the world. It just disappeared. Because of a simple command that Jesus gave his followers. Love as I have loved you. And you produce fruit. This person. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in you. So Lord, I pray this week that you would help us to see as you see. Lord, that we would listen with your ears in such a way to hear what you would hear so that we could respond with your leadership and your guidance to make much of you so that others may be drawn to the process to learn from you. For your honor, for your glory, and your kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you very much. Have a great week.